Lakeville, Minnesota has a population of about 60,000. And in July, they have an annual celebration called Panoprog uh, that features, among um, other things, the Miss Lakeville Annual Scholarship Pageant, beer, brats, and bingo, a carnival, and the always exciting and often controversial baby crawlathon. Yes, that's a picture of the crawlathon there. Why controversial, you say? Well, emotions ran high in 2015 when the winner, 10-month-old Berkeley Bailey, was disqualified. Berkeley crossed the finish line as the clear winner, but moments later, event organizers huddled and then stripped her of her first and only title of her young life. (laughs) Judges ruled that the tot actually pushed herself forward with her left side and then lifted her right arm in the air kid you not. Panoprog president Diana Niermeyer explained to the Sun This Week newspaper that the rules were established to make the competition fair and give everyone a level playing field. Berkeley's mom, Samantha Moore, protested that the rule is unfair to babies who have a unique way of getting around. That's the only way we've ever seen our baby crawl, she said. That's all she's ever done. The doctor told us it was a crawl, for goodness sakes, right? (sighs) Ms. Niedemeyer said the issue first arose in the race in 2014 when a baby crawled like a bear on his hands and feet. He finished the race first, but he also was disqualified because, as Niedemeyer explained, when you do it that way, you're a speedster, right? (laughs) Thankfully, this year's Crawlathon took place without incident, right? What is it about us, right? We, we, we even get worked up about a baby crawlathon. Are you kidding me, right? We, we, we get into like uh, rules and uh, foul and disqualifications and all of this. What is it about us, right? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 says love operates quite differently. That love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Envy has been described as a sinful response to the success of others. That we see in whatever we kind of define as success, but we maybe look at the success that somebody else is having and we respond to that, not rejoicing with those who rejoice or, or being excited for them. But we find kind of a, a, an envy that sometimes even wants to put them down and lift ourselves up. On the other hand, boasting arrogance or rudeness are sinful responses to our own success, or at least our perception of success. And maybe it comes across like, look at me, or I deserve this, or somehow I'm better than somebody else because I've experienced this. But as we're trying to learn like, to love like Jesus loved, we know that envy, boastfulness, arrogance, rudeness doesn't have any place. In fact, is Jesus talked about a different way. As his followers were kind of arguing about who was going to be the best, who was going to be the greatest, who was number one, right? He said, there's a different way. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said there is a different way to relate. There's a different way to love. But it's one thing to proclaim that. It's another thing to live it out. And so Jesus wanting to make sure that these followers didn't miss this, this crucial lesson on how to love and how to relate to other people in a, in a distinct way, gave them just a few hours before his arrest, which would lead ultimately to his beating and the crucifixion, he gave them an unforgettable demonstration of this principle of being a servant. And in John's gospel, the 13th chapter, Jesus takes up a basin and a towel. And in so doing, he gives us this incredible portrait of what a servant looks like, of what it looks like to love like Jesus loved. And I want to just kind of walk through this this morning and just, just maybe invite God to remind us of some things that probably most of us already know. But to, to remind us and, and challenge us and call us to love in the way that Jesus modeled as a servant. First thing I want you to notice in this passage is that it tells us that servants love. That servants love. Look at the very first verse. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Here in this moment when it would certainly be understandable for Jesus to be focused on everything that he was having to go through, he's focused on others and he's focusing on them out of a heart of love. And that is so incredibly important because without love, service becomes merely duty. And probably all of us have done things and maybe served in a way that in the end it, it just felt like a duty. And without love, that, that duty becomes kind of drudgery, doesn't it? It becomes a drudgery along the way. But not only does it become a drudgery, but without love, service almost always sours into bitterness. It sours into bitterness. There becomes this resentment. There becomes a resentment maybe of the one we're serving or the demands of it or, or why I'm not getting the recognition or whatever it might be. You, you see, God-honoring service is not just about the action, but it's also about the heart behind it. It's also about the motivation that drives it. God-honoring service is always fueled by love. A deeper, a deeper awareness of God's love for us, but also a growing measure of his love in us. That when I serve in a God-honoring way, it, it is because I am more and more aware of God's unmerited love toward me, his unconditional love poured out upon me. And the more and more I, I become aware of that, the more that I kind of rest in that and can revel in that, as we've talked about before, then it begins to fuel my capacity to grow in love for others, and that his love can begin to, to flow through me into the lives of others. Servants love. Servants love. They don't just do things out of duty, but they are motivated 
by a love, a love for God and certainly a love for others. But I want you to notice the second thing this morning, and that is that Jesus reminds us that servants are strong. Sometimes we have this picture that that if I'm a servant, I'm weak. But Jesus reminds us that actually to be able to serve, you have to do it from a place of strength. Verse 2, during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Here is God in the flesh. The one who is preparing to die for our sins on a cross. And not in a position of of weakness, but in a position of strength, chooses to serve, chooses to serve. And as we read those verses, we, we see he had a sense of strong direction. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. Uh, men and women who, who serve in a God-honoring way have this sense of, of my life matters, that, that there is a direction and a purpose to my life. He also operated out of a strong authority. He had a strong authority that he, he knew uh, who, whose he was. He, he knew where he had come from. He knew that God the Father had given all things into his hands. It's not like, like he, he lacked authority. He had all authority. In fact, it would have been more than fair for him to to, to demand that someone else wash his feet. I mean, John the Baptist recognized that he wasn't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals, right? And here's Jesus from a position of strength. A strong direction, a strong authority, a strong identity. He knew who he was. There was no doubt about it. And and out of that position, he takes the towel and the basin. You see, the three of these all add add up to a genuine security. Listen, if you lack security, it's hard to keep serving. If you lack security in God's love for you and who he has created you to be, if you don't kind of have that, that, that security that this is who I am, then, then you may serve, but you'll probably do it out of, out of guilt or obligation or duty or whatever it may be, but not out of a heart of love. But, but Jesus operated out of this position of security because he knew who he was. He knew the authority that he had. He knew the direction he was going. You and I can operate in that same way as we're touched by God's grace. To, to think about it, that God, God kind of plucked you, if you will, out of eternity, and he, he, he placed you in this time and season, and he gave you the gifts that he, you have and the opportunities, and yes, even the challenges. And when we, we begin to understand that, it frees us from having to envy somebody else. It frees us from having to, to, to fall into a trap of being boastful uh, because we understand all that I have, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the opportunities opportunities. All of those come from the grace of God. And God on purpose put me here and made me like this for such a time as this. And that gives me a sense of genuine security. Servants love. Servants are strong. But servants understand that they serve 
imperfect people. That they serve imperfect people. Let's just continue to walk through John's gospel here. Then he, being Jesus, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Servants serve imperfect people. Let's just go ahead and admit it. Aren't there some folks that it's a whole lot easier to serve than others? <laughs> right? Because they're, they're nice. They do things for you. They serve you. I mean, it's, it's kind of a mutual reciprocating. It's so good. But Jesus served imperfect people. I mean, think for just a moment of the feet just in that room that he washed, right? First of all, the disciples, right? I mean, this group that's been walking with him for almost three years now, and they're still, they still don't fully get it. They're still grumbling and complaining. They're still jockeying for position. Uh, could you let, let us sit on the right or the left? Or who's going to be the greatest and all these things? And, and Luke kind of captures that for us. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Here, here's Jesus. He understands their heart. He understands the, the, the struggle. And he gets on their, in his knees. And he chooses to wash their feet anyway. And then there's Judas, right? Judas. I mean, did you see that in the text? Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. He takes that towel in that basin. And he washes these feet that in just a short while are going to be the feet that leads the mob to arrest him. The feet that will carry him to his side as he betrays him with a kiss. It's not easy to serve. It's not easy to serve somebody that's imperfect. It's surely not easy to serve somebody that's hurt you that's betrayed you, that may wound you again in the future. And then there's Peter's feet, right? I always joke, man, if anybody needed their feet washed, it was Peter because he kept sticking his feet in his mouth, right? I mean, I mean, man, this guy, I mean, you know, he gets an A for zeal, but man, it was, he was zeal without knowledge, right? I mean, he was, he was kind of off the rails all the time. He was going in directions. And even here, even in this moment, after three years of walking with Jesus, he's like correcting Jesus, right? I mean, at what point do you get to the point of saying, you know, every time I think I've got a better idea, uh, Jesus kind of proves me wrong. 
But here he is, he's opening his big mouth again. Well, I, I don't want you washing my feet. I'm too good for that. Well, if I don't do this, you don't have any part of me. Oh, well, then everything, right? He's like, Peter. But see, Jesus saw in Peter what Peter did not yet see in himself. He is serving and washing these feet because he knows. He knows who Peter can become. He knows the, 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 the greatness that God has placed within him, the, the purposes that God is going to unfold through his life. And even though Peter doesn't get it yet, even though Peter's still correcting Jesus, Jesus sees something more in him. Sometimes we serve because we see something more in somebody else than they see in themselves, don't we? Servants serve imperfect people. Fourth thing I want you to see here is that servants aren't showy. Servants aren't showy. Jesus does all this. Then verse 12 tells us simply, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and he resumed his place, and he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you, right? I mean, in this day and age, right, if we had done it, it's been like, somebody take a picture, right? Let's post this puppy online, right? Man, here's Jesus like washing the feet. How cool is that, right? You know, one of the disciples would have said, let's get a selfie here, you know, of Jesus washing my feet or something, right? None of that. None of that. took off the outer garments, put on the towel, washed the feet, put the outer garments back on, resumed his place, and then humbly taught them. I want you to understand what took place. You see, the Greek word for humility means to stoop low. And in a, in a world where so often there's envy, and there's, there's arrogance and boastfulness and rudeness uh, to stand out. It's a man or woman who is willing to stoop low, not because we're lower than somebody else, but to stoop low out of love, to stoop low from a position of strength because that's how Jesus loved. Dan Cathy is the president and CEO of, of Chick-fil-A. He was in Southern California uh, kind of looking at a site where they were getting ready to build a, a new Chick-fil-A restaurant. And it was near Saddleback Church, and he had a friendship with Rick Warren, and so he asked Rick to come uh, with him. And so they were kind of together on that job site, and they were kind of walking it and that sort of thing. And, and you know, they, as they got to the point, it was midday, and they were starting to get hungry. And so, so they, they went to just a, a nearby competitor, right, a Taco Bell. And they walked in, and because they were dirty, the first thing they did, they, they walked in and kind of went to the bathroom and washed their hands and cleaned up a little bit before, before going to order something. And Rick said, you know, he, he's, he's walking out the, the bathroom, and he kind of catches out of the corner of his eye. And here's Dan Cathy, president and CEO of Chick-fil-A, with a handful of paper towels. And he's wiping down the countertop, and he's cleaning out the sink in the Taco Bell restaurant. And Rick's going, uh, Dan, thank you. <laughs> kind of thank you for doing this. Dan said, Rick, we teach our staff to always leave any place they are 
better than it was when they found it, whether it's our place or not. Now, see, here's the thing. If Rick hadn't told that story, nobody would have known that the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A was cleaning the bathroom of a Taco Bell in Southern California because servants aren't showy. Servants aren't showy. Fifth thing I want you to see is that servants meet needs. Servants meet needs. Let's read just a few more verses in this chapter. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not just about knowing that servants love and lovers serve, but it's doing them. You see, Jesus tells us that in the end, there's only one kind of greatness, and that's the greatness of service. Positions vary. Giftedness varies. God has his purposes and reasons for entrusting folks with different opportunities and different challenges and different gifts and all of those things. But true greatness is the greatness of service. See, we might ask why. Why did Jesus wash their feet, right? I mean, of all the things he could have chosen to do in these, in these last few moments before the Garden of Gethsemane and before the arrest and everything that would follow after that, why did Jesus wash their feet? I can think of at least two reasons, and they both go to meeting needs. The first is, very simply, their feet were dirty, <laughs> I mean, it just, it thought, wow, Jeff, you like studied for that one, right? Yeah, I mean, woo, right? <laughs> hey, but there's this very real physical, practical need in that culture. Perhaps someone would have bathed before they showed up at a dinner. Uh, but as they, as they walked the, the, the dusty roads that, uh, with the footwear of the day, their, their, their feet would have gotten dusty, would have been covered with some dirt. And so a gracious host would have at least provided a servant or somebody to have Wash those feet, right? But when you're jockeying for position, you don't pick up the towel. So Jesus picks up the towel because there's a physical need. Their feet were dirty. But there's even a deeper spiritual emotional need, and that is that their hearts were proud. <laughs> their hearts were proud. A room full of men who none of them are even worthy to untie his sandal. And in their pride, in their powering up, nobody picked up the towel except the strongest one in the room. Except the one who had the most security and the most love. He picked up the towel because their feet were dirty. Physical need. 
because their hearts were proud. But I do want you to see one important spiritual lesson in the midst of this lesson on love. And it's a lesson about our, our, our relationship to God. And we center back on that, that time of discussion between Peter and Jesus. And, and there's, there's two different words that, that are used here in the, in the Greek language when Jesus said, the one who has bathed in verse 10 does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. The two words are, are distinct and yet important in the distinction. Luo is that, that word to bathe all over. Or nipto is, is to wash a part of the body. And Jesus uses a kind of a word play here to distinguish uh, between uh, two aspects of our relationship with God. The, the first uh, we can describe as our union with Christ. That is to be bathed all over, to be cleansed from our sin, to be restored to a right relationship with God, to be united with God, a sin that has separated us from a holy God. When we are, are cleansed by the, the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ, we are in now union with Christ. We are connected to God. Paul writing to Titus used these words, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That when we responded to God's grace through faith that God even enables in the first place. When we experience that, we experience a washing of regeneration. We, we are a new creation, a new person. We have new life in Jesus Christ. We have been washed clean. Though my sins were as scarlet, they are now white as snow. And that happens, and I am united. I have this union with Christ uh, because of His grace, not because of my works. It is to be bathed all over so Jesus washes their feet he says you don't need to take a complete bath but he nipto washes the feet and that talks about our communion with Christ our communion with Christ it's what the uh, apostle John wrote about in that first letter when he talked about confessing your sins if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We oftentimes use this when, when we're talking to somebody about, uh, about opening up their life to Christ for the first time. But actually, while that's not wrong, this, this was actually written to believers. It was written to believers. Sometimes people say, well, well Jeff, if, if all of my sin was forgiven, past, present, and future, when I accepted Christ, then why do I have to confess? It's not about my union it's about my communion. It is about that, that fellowship. It is about the, the openness of that relationship with God. And so like someone who was cleansed all over from a bath 
might get dusty as they walked uh, the roads and would need their feet washed. So you and I, though we're cleansed, uh, washed by regeneration, we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. As we walk in this life, we, we continue maybe to stumble in some old habits. We continue to respond to the impulses of the flesh. We, we, we get hung up in some things of the world and we pick up some of the dust along the way. And that doesn't mean I am no longer united with God. It means, though, that my communion, my, my sense of fellowship and, and community and connection with him has been distorted, has been, has been kind of shut down, and I need that cleansing. I need that cleansing. And when I confess, he is faithful and just. He doesn't say, I'm so tired of you. <laughs> He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do I need to love like Jesus loved? I need at least two things. I need a surrendered heart, and I need a servant's heart. I need a surrendered heart. A heart that, that begins and recognizes that, that, that God, I, I, I don't bring anything to my relationship with you except my sin. And, and Father, I need what only you can do for, for me through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I, I surrender. I surrender my past to you. I surrender my present to you. I surrender my future to you. I surrender to you not only to be my, my cleanser, not only to be my, my savior and forgiver, but to be my rightful leader and my rightful Lord. Lord, and for I surrender to you. Jesus modeled that for us. He came and he gave up the glories of heaven and he surrendered to the will of his Father, taking the form of a servant, being obedient, even obedient to the point of death on the cross. And I have to have a surrendered heart. And when I am surrendered, it frees me from envy. <laughs> I, it's, it's not about what God's doing or not doing in somebody else's life is it's God I I'm surrendered to you I'm your servant it frees me from being boastful or arrogant or rude because I recognize everything that I have every breath that I draw every beat of my heart is a gift from God and his grace and so I'm just surrendered to him and when I'm fully surrendered to him then I'm free I'm free to operate out of a servant's heart because I'm secure in his love. I'm secure in his providential watch care over my life. I'm secure enough to be able to serve, to take up the towel, and to take up the basin, even if nobody else will. Let me close with one more story. It comes from the New York Times. So an admissions counselor at an Ivy League school, Rebecca Sabaki was her name. She reads over 2,000 college applications every year. She writes, the applicants are always intellectually curious and talented. They climb mountains, hit extracurricular clubs, develop new technologies. They're the next generation's leaders. Their accomplishments stack up quickly. But she says, I'm always on the lookout for a rare quality, as exemplified in one applicant to this Ivy League school. She writes, a student from a large public school in New England was clearly bright, as evidenced by his class rank and teacher's praise. 
He had a supportive recommendation from his college counselor and an impressive list of extracurriculars. But one letter of recommendation caught my eye. It was from a school custodian. Letters of recommendation are typically written by people who the applicant thinks will impress a school. This letter was different. The custodian wrote that he was compelled to support the student's candidacy because of his thoughtfulness. This young man was the only person in the school who knew the names of every member of the janitorial staff. He turned off lights in empty rooms. He consistently thanked the hallway monitors each morning and tidied up after his peers, even if nobody was watching. This student, the custodian wrote, had a refreshing respect for every person at the school, regardless of position, popularity, or clout. Over 15 years and 30,000 applications in my admissions career, and I had never seen a recommendation from a school custodian. It gave us a window unto a student's lives in the moments when nothing, quote-unquote, counted. That student had a unanimous recommendation from the admissions board to the Ivy League school. In order to love like Jesus loved, I need a surrendered heart, and I need a servant's heart. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, we are in awe that you loved us enough to serve, to give up the glories of heaven, to come and take the form of a servant, to be obedient even to the cross. And Lord, not only that, but in the moments when we deserved it the least, you do things like take up a towel in a basin and wash dirty feet. And so, Father, today, as we cry out to you, Lord, would you move in our lives would you help us by your empowering, enabling grace to offer to you a surrendered heart today? And Lord, I pray that there may be some in this room that, that have, have never surrendered their, their heart and life to you. And that, that today is the day by, by your Holy Spirit that you're tugging at them right now. And Lord, even in this moment, you're, you're inviting them to trust you enough to surrender their past, their present, and their future to you. And Lord, let today be the day of their salvation, today when they come to you with a surrendered heart. And Lord, I pray for all of those who name the name of Jesus Christ in this room. Father, oh Lord, help us to, to, to come to you with those dusty, dirty feet in the world. And Lord, just ask you to, to cleanse us anew and afresh. Lord, restore that, that communion, that fellowship, that connectedness with you. Lord, help us to surrender anew and afresh to you, to offer our very beings, our lives, our bodies to you as living sacrifices today. And then, Lord, out of a security of your love for us, out of a security of, of your hand upon us, help us to pick up the towel and the basin. Develop in us a servant's heart. Show us very specifically, even in these moments, who it is 
and how we can serve them this week. I'm just going to invite you to just allow kind of that seat where you're in to be an altar before the Lord.